Okay, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1, please. And no, we're not doing our Ephesians Bible study. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, please. So I have a confession to make. Uh, I didn't bring my sermons. So because I didn't bring... <laughs> Everyone thinks that's good news when I don't bring my sermon. <laughs> All right, so Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Uh, usually, so far, the Holy Spirit really blesses when I don't bring my sermon. Hopefully, he will do it again. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Today, the Lord laid upon my heart to preach to you about his wonderful blessing of salvation. Perhaps there's someone who has not heard the good news of the gospel of the grace of God. Also, some of us say believers don't understand the blessings that truly accompanied it. If you've uh, studied Ephesians through us throughout the past couple of weeks, you would realize how rich his blessing is about salvation, and I hope that it can encourage you today. For some of you who are discouraged today, for some of you who are downtrodden, and some of you have perhaps messed up in sin again, some of you have not been in church for a long time, perhaps you need to remind yourself, perhaps you need to restore the joy of the Lord in realizing that I'm saved and I'm not going to hell. For some of you who know, don't know that song, look it up. You'll like that song. Then you might be one of those people who might run around the room maybe. But salvation, it just fires me up and it should fire within you where you can tell other people about salvation. And a lot of people, they hate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll make fun of Christianity. They'll poke fun of you. They'll call you hate speech. But if the salvation means so much to you and it truly means good news and you can't just keep it inside, you just want to blurt it out to somebody and tell them the good news of salvation. Have them partake and taste the joy of the Lord like you do. I think some of us today could restore our joy you need to restore your joy about salvation. Perhaps salvation will remind you to burden you and convict you about getting back to serving God, about serving Him more than what you've been doing for now. Let's look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Ephesian church while he is in prison. And while he, he's in prison, he's not complaining about the chains around his wrists or around his ankles. He's not complaining about being under lockdown in his home for more than a year. As a matter of fact, he still is joyful about his salvation, he, all he can say is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he blessed me with all sorts of spiritual blessings from heaven. And if you can count the numbers of how much heaven has blessed you in life, then you would realize, man, I am truly blessed. The people who are more joyful about their salvations are the ones who realize how much sacrifice and how much detail the Lord put to give you the blessing. Amen. Those are the people who would be joyful. But the people who have salvation and who have no idea about the blessings, then they're the ones who tend to not care. They're the ones who tend to, who are not joyful. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven, you might say. Oh yeah, I'm saved from hell. But do you realize how much joy there is in that? Just to go to heaven and to be saved from hell is enough to lay down your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if you would know the sacrifice that was behind it, every detail that was behind it, then you would be more grateful for salvation and you would be truly happy. Rich people, why they cannot be happy is they're so used to the riches. But the people who sacrificed a lot of things and who gave up a lot of things in early life and then attained the riches, they're the ones who tend to be more grateful and happy with what they got. But the people who were born and lived under that, they tend to not be happy. So I pray that today's sermon will remind you of the joy of the Lord. Let's bow in the word of prayer. Father God, please fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit. Wash away my sins with your precious and most holy blood. This is a sermon that you laid upon my heart right now. And I pray that you'll bless the sermon. Fill within it Holy Spirit power and unction from on high. Make it a blessing to the hearers. And encourage them in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. 
one of the things that makes me happy about salvation is we look at verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Man, there's so many things over here. The first thing that I want to talk about is predestination. Now, there, there's a church that, uh, that agrees with the doctrine called Calvinism, and we we disagree, we firmly reject Calvinism because we do not believe that God, he rejects free choice. That God somehow on a whim puts somebody in heaven and on a whim puts somebody in hell. That's what they think. They think that according to verse 4, long before the foundation of the world, before we were created, God already chose which people would be in heaven and which people would be in hell. But we firmly deny that. What we believe according to verse 4 is... According as he hath chosen us, who is the us? What's the condition, church? In him before the foundation of the world. So those who are in Jesus Christ, those who are, have received Jesus Christ for salvation, those are the people that God chose long before the foundation of the world. Basically, God is like this up in heaven. God is up in heaven and he's saying, well, I know that humankind will mess up again and again. I've seen at Genesis, Adam and Eve would fall, and then Noah's flood, that mankind would mess up. And then at the Tower of Babel, when I give them another chance, mankind still messes up. And then when I give Abraham promise, he'll still mess up. And even if I give the law under Moses' timeline, they will still mess up. And even when I die on the cross, get buried and resurrected for them, they will still mess up. They'll still be ungrateful. Some of those saved believers, they'll be bitter against me, mad against me. Some of them, they'll just take my name in vain. They won't care when they live out in sin and some of them will tend to be hypocrites coming to church pretending to be good bible believing christians but then they sin and disgrace god but you know despite of all those things and i know all those things will happen like thousands of years later if those people would receive my son for salvation if they get in jesus christ i don't care i'm gonna get i chose long time ago that they would be up in heaven with me he predestinated you. He predestinated you to be. He predestinated you to be transformed into the image of his son. He chose you before the foundation of the world, despite mankind messing up again and again. Saved Christians messing up again and again. And saved Christians can be sometimes the worst sinners in the world. And God said, yet those people, I chose those people to be up in heaven with me. And then there's the Catholic who accuses the Baptist. There's the Muslim who accuses the Baptist. The Jehovah Witness who accuses the Baptist saying, you Baptist believe that once you get in Jesus Christ for salvation, that you can't lose it, that you can't get out of there. And guess what? God says, yep, you're right. I chose those people. It is unfair. It is totally unfair. Muhammad never gave that kind of benefit. Buddha never gave that kind of benefit. The Virgin Mary never gave that kind of benefit. The Pope never gave that kind of benefit. You're right. It's totally unfair. But guess what? I chose those people to be in heaven with me if they're saved in Jesus Christ. Man, you're telling me that you can sin, you can mess up, and you'll still go to heaven. That's totally messed up. But guess what? That's why the verse says at the last part of verse 4, he chose us, why? In love. Woo, glory to God. He loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. And if you receive Christ for your salvation, his love is everlasting. And it will never leave you. You know why he can't damn you to hell, even if you messed up? Because he loves you. If there's a father who loves his child, no matter how badly the child messes up, the father cannot allow that child to burn in hell forever. Or even burn there at all. The father who really loves a child will say, I want to get that person out of there no matter what no matter what that's why my friend if you are not saved in jesus christ his love cannot be upon you and that's why he can withstand he can stomach you burning in hell forever you know why because you are not in christ you are not in christ will you be saved in jesus christ today will you make jesus christ yours today how many of you want to make jesus christ yours today 
and receive him for your salvation. And then his love will be everlasting upon you. And yeah, even after this church service is over, you might walk away. You might get saved today. And you might walk away from church and never come back. But his love will never leave you. And he promised you a home in heaven. And I might not see you again. But guess what? If you receive Jesus Christ, I'll see you up there, my friend. I will see you up there. If you would just get in Jesus Christ and get saved, then his love will be upon you. His wrath cannot fall upon you. Not even a small ounce of hatred can fall upon you. And he won't let you just drop in hell for a little bit and take you out two seconds. He can't even let the flame touch you. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that even if you your works are bad and you're a failure, the Bible says the fire cannot touch you. The fire cannot touch you. You can't even get a smoke on your clothes. You can't even get a touch or a singe of a flame on your little finger. You know why? God's love is upon you and he gave you an everlasting promise that you would be in heaven with him glory to God yeah you better run what a savior and as that song goes hallelujah what a savior you know why that's the love of Jesus Christ man that's the love of Jesus Christ man Jesus Christ he's offering that love because he did that at Calvary and he's offering the lost world that love would you receive it would you receive it? That verse is still true, my friend. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, in him, if you get in Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You want that verse to ring true in your ears? Then get in Jesus Christ today. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Well, you know, I just uh, mess up in sin here and there, and I'm wondering if I'm really saved, and I doubt my salvation. I can't really believe that if I get in Jesus Christ, I mean, God's not going to find any blame in me. God's not going to find any single wrongdoing in me. I find that hard to believe. Did you read verse 4 that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him. Man, can you imagine that? Man, do you recall all the times you messed up in sin? Do you recall all the times that you made stupid mistakes and you grieved the Holy Spirit of God? Some of you sadly dread that rapture to happen. Because when the rapture sounds, you're afraid that you're going to go in front of God. And when you go in front of God, you're going to be ashamed and you're going to go, Lord, I didn't do so much for you. You remember that sin that I just did just now. One of the worst things you can ever do is while you're sinning, that's when the rapture sounds. That's one of the worst things you can ever do. If there's a church service that you don't want to skip, all right, it would be the church service when the rapture sounds, all right? You don't want to skip that church service. That might motivate you to come to church more often, bless God. And then, man, can you imagine that if you just sinned and you messed up and then you got raptured and you stood before the throne of God? You'd be ashamed. You'd feel guilty because of the sin that you messed up. But when you're before him, God would say, I find no blame in you. All I see is holiness. All I see is righteousness. You know why? Because Jesus Christ, I became sin so that you can have my righteousness. You are holy without blame before him in love. Holy, holy, holy. Man, bless God. You know why? Because it's not my holiness. It's the holiness of Jesus Christ. You know what? It is so sad that I see literally over a billion Catholics and a billion Muslims. And some of the, a lot of these people, they'll live better lives than me, better lives than you, because they're trusting in their works to get them to heaven. They're trusting in their clean living. They're trusting in how many sins that they've gotten rid of in their lives. And then you see these grandmothers walking around the statue of the Virgin Mary in their bloody knees, Oh, how sad. And then these Muslims, you know, they do their little chant and then they bow down several times praying toward Mecca and then shouting out the name of Allah and the Muhammad. It is sad. And these people, it is so unfortunate that they're trusting, relying in their works for salvation rather than getting in Jesus Christ. And those people, when you compare them to some of you, you would go, man, I mean, these people live a lot better than me. Man, I'm worse than them. You know, they're, they're better people than I am. They're good people. I'm a bad person. But guess what? They're bad people and you're the good person. You might say, why is that? Because despite of how many good works that they do in their lives, 
Even if you get baptized, go to church, repent of all your sins, and do all these things in your life. Guess what? When you compare your goodness with God's 100% holy goodness, the gap is still too great. And God still sees you as evil and wicked and fallible and a rotten sinner. So that's why God had to die in your place. God had to trade your sins with his righteousness. So that's why God bestowed upon you his righteousness. So guess what? Any Catholic or Muslim or any lost person that lives a lot better than you, guess what? You're more holy than them no matter how badly you mess up in your life. You're considered holy. You're considered pure. Can you believe that? We call this Holy Bible. But can you imagine that you are right next to this in God calling you holy? God calling you holy? Is that unfathomable? Isn't that so deep that the love of God, that he would bestow upon you his holiness. And every time you sing out, holy, holy is the Lord, you forget that God gave that holiness to you as well, my friend. What a great God. What an awesome God. You don't think that I would give my life for a being like that, for a God like that, who died for me and gave me his righteousness. What a great God. That's enough to die for him. That's enough to live for him. That's enough to clean up all my sinful life. That's enough to sacrifice everything I have. Because God, he gave up so much for me that he didn't require me to give up anything for him. So because of that, I just want to give up for him. I want to give up all for him. How about you, my friend? In Ephesians chapter 1. It says at verse, the latter part of verse 5, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Man, praise the Lord that he adopted you. And it's predestined. So because it's predestined, once you're adopted, it cannot be changed. It cannot be taken away. Man, aren't you glad that you're an adopted child of God? Some of you don't realize what that means. Some of you don't realize how powerful that is. You don't realize how powerful adoption is because the thing is, is that if you have a child, God forbid this should happen to any parent, but let's say that you have a child, a son or a daughter. You might have a son or a daughter, but you may not love that son or daughter. You may not like that son and daughter. You might say, man, why are you my son? Why are you my daughter? That's what happens through biological children sometimes, which is sad. So, but God didn't do that with you. You might say, why? He did something better. He adopted you. You might say, why is that better? Because the reason why a parent adopts that child is because the parent loves that child to begin with. The parent likes that child to begin with. The the parent prefers that child to begin with. And out of all the people, out of all time and creation, God says, "Uh, you, you, I adopt you. Come over here. You go like this and you go, God, and then you look at some uh, holy roller living, you know, Campbellite Church of Christ, and then some Jehovah Witness who knocked on more doors and did a lot of witnessing than you did, and then you compare, and then you go, God, no, uh, you got the wrong person. That person, right? Or that person, right? I, I'm sure you would adopt them. They did a lot more for you. You were that child, that spoiled brat, who was unruly, rebellious. Stuck at the orphanage of hell of all places. And you were doomed to hell and nobody loved you. Nobody gave a care for you. Nobody ever wanted you. And then God's like, you. And then you go, what? And you get shocked. And then you, this is a strange feeling because you never felt loved before. And this is a strange feeling because you never think that someone would pick someone like you. And it's a strange feeling because you never thought that somebody so great and so grand, the greatest of the great, the king of kings and the lord of lords decided, I want you. And then you can't help but just let tears run in your eyes and you go, God, you're looking at the wrong person. You're looking at the person behind me, aren't you? Sometimes you ever notice that person will look at you and you're wondering if they're looking at you and you look behind you. Well, guess what? God is looking at you, my friend, and God adopted you. He loves you like you're his only child. You might say, really? Like, uh, but isn't Jesus God's only begotten son? Why would he love me like I'm his only child? Because look at John chapter 17. Look at the book of John chapter 17. In this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is about to die on Calvary. But before he died on Calvary, he gave a wonderful prayer. He gave a wonderful prayer about these people. 
and he gave a request to the Father. You know what he said? When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus said, Lord, when he died on the cross, there was no love of God in him. The love of the Father was not bestowed on Jesus when he died. You know why? It was the wrath of God. So when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Father completely put his wrath on Jesus, kept him beaten, kept him crucified and naked and mocked. The Father did that. Why? Why would he do that? Because Jesus gave a request to the Father at verse 26. Woo! And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love, look at this, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be what? In them and I in them. The only begotten son the father ever had out of all time and creation was the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever seen parents who had their only child by birth? Do you know how much they value that child? How much they love that child? Some of them would even spoil that child. Why? Because it's the only child that was ever born from their lives. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son from the father. And then Jesus says, Lord, you know, the love that you gave to me, put it on that sinner who spat at me. That sinner who's going to crucify me on Calvary. That sinner who takes your name in vain. That sinner who, even though will become a saved Christian, will still blaspheme you. Who will let you down. Who will not come to soul winning. Who will not attend church. Who doesn't care about his relationship communication with you. So he'll skip his Bible reading and prayer life. Lord, put that love on that sinner. And then every time that Roman soldier had to pound that spike into the hand of Jesus Christ. God the Father had to put his wrath on Jesus Christ and had to put his love on that Roman soldier who would receive Jesus Christ for his salvation. That the same Roman soldier looked at the Son of God and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The love. What love? Man, and even after this church is over, you still crucify Jesus again and again. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God again and again with your sins. And Jesus Christ says, Lord, that wrath was already back there at Calvary. It was all on me. It was all on me, Father. You, I took it. I took the anger. I took the wrath and the hatred. You gave that love that you gave to me. Put it on them. Man, bless God. You know how much he loves you? He loves you as much as he loves Jesus Christ. He loves you as much as our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. Can you imagine what kind of love? Do you deserve it? You definitely don't deserve it. And that's why all you can say is grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. All of it is through the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4. Man, isn't our God a great God? When we sing Amazing Grace, do you really think that it's just Amazing Grace? Or do you really believe it's Amazing Grace? Man, what are you singing about when you sing about His grace? Do you understand the meaning behind it? What Jesus had to give up? What He had to go through? What the Father had to give up? What He had to go through so that you can partake in His love and His grace? In Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Look at that at verse 4, because of his love where he died for you according to the last part of verse 5, that was grace. Do you know what grace means? It's something that you don't deserve and yet you get it. Do you deserve his love? Do you deserve him to love you? How many times have you failed to love God as much as you should? You loved your work more than God, your school more than God. You loved your spouse more than God. You loved the world more than God. You loved your money more than God. You loved your own flesh, your own wicked flesh more than God. And then God gave up his own flesh and his own battered body 
to love you. So what, what, do you, what do you deserve from God? You deserve his love when you failed loving him? You deserve his love? You know what that is? That's grace. <laughs> Man, what a great God. That's the, all you can speak about it. That's his grace. You know how great his grace is? If you look at Romans 5, you don't realize this. Go to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. Let me tell you something. The world's... I mean, Adolf, after what Adolf Hitler did with slaughtering millions at the Holocaust, <clears throat> think about it. If there was a great enemy like that who persecuted, who tortured, who killed, executed your loved one and your family member, and let's say you were that one of those survivors from the Holocaust, would you ever love Adolf Hitler? Would you? Can you ever love Adolf Hitler after that? Would you give Adolf Hitler all the possessions and all the riches that you have to a person like that after what that person did to you? Jesus did. You know why? Because what Jesus did was he gave all of his riches to you. And you're the one that grieves the Holy Spirit even still today on a daily basis in thought, word, and action, and heart. And even before you got saved, you just lived in sin. You disappointed God. Some people hearing right now don't even really care. They don't even care what they're hearing. And yet God's grace goes on for the past 2,000 years of history. And he says, hey, salvation's still open and free. Would you receive it? And then even these people who criticize Jesus Christ, criticize Christianity, take God's name in vain. And then they try to shut down churches. They try to persecute Christians. And these people are the ones who disgrace the Bible that sully his word. They even have the audacity to change his words. And that's why you have 200 plus modern versions because people don't give a care about the sacred word of God. And they say, I'll change it to whatever way I want. What enemies of Jesus Christ? You get people who attack and blaspheme Jesus Christ in comedy shows without a care in the world. And Jesus said, I died for them. And I died for you. And can you recall before you got saved? And even right now during your salvation, how many times that you've hurt God? I mean, you're basically an enemy, you got to realize. That is an act of an enemy. You know what an enemy is? Somebody who hurts you. Somebody who would dare put hands on you or your loved one, your family member. You would automatically say that, hey, that's an enemy. And you fight for it. But guess what? They put their hands on his only begotten son, on the father's only loved one. The father let it go. And the father put his wrath on Jesus Christ. And the father says, that's right, my son will take all that beating, that wrath. Go ahead. And Jesus Christ, he's the one that challenged the devil. He says, who is my adversary? Let him come. Bring it on and bring it on. And they beat him and they tortured him. And they crucified him on a bloody old rugged cross. And you were that enemy. You were that enemy before you got saved. And even right now, sometimes you follow this enemy, the flesh. You're siding with this enemy rather than the Holy Spirit. Who's the good guy on your, good guy on your side? And yet, despite of you acting the enemy, and before you got saved, you were the enemy, God says at verse 10 at Romans 5, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's one thing that you don't deserve his love, but it's another thing that you're his, you were his enemy, and you definitely don't deserve his love. Especially what you did after against Jesus Christ, his loved one. And yet he gave grace upon you. He gave grace upon you. It's so mad, and it's so unfathomable that God stomachs 2,000 years of atheists blurting their mouth and questioning the love of God and disgracing his grace and saying, if God is all loving, why did this happen? Why did that happen? God is not real. God is not loving. And God is an evil God for all these things happening. It's amazing God can stomach that for 2,000 years and say, I still offer you my love and my salvation. Will you receive it? What a savior. <clears throat> you know what? Mohammed, Voltaire, the Pope, and Buddha, they're burning in hell and with the billions that they and the millions they have deceived in their false religion. 
But guess what? They didn't have to. Jesus died for them too. Jesus died for Hitler. Jesus died for Voltaire. Jesus died for Mohammed. Jesus died for Buddha. Jesus died for Joseph Smith. Despite of the billions and the millions they have deceived into a burning hell. You know what grace is basically? <laughs> no one deserves to burn in hell forever. You might say, what do you mean by that preacher? Because when you... Because you know why no one deserves to burn in hell forever? When you're behind grace. When you're behind grace, God sees holiness and righteousness and no sin. Man, without grace, you deserved hellfire and brimstone. You deserve to be split in hell wide open ages and aeons ago. But God kept you breathing. God kept you living. God kept you living year after year after year, giving you a chance and saying, one day, that, pers that person will bow on his knees and understand my love one day. Understand my grace one day. The person may not understand it now. And Can you think on your past? You didn't care. In your past life? And then God's like, it's okay. You can keep sinning and messing up. But guess what? I'll, I'll, my grace will be upon you. And one day somebody will open up that book and give you the gospel. And you'll understand my love one day. You know why those Christians can burn at the stake for hours? What kept them there? It's the love of Jesus Christ. Man, when John Huss was tied against that stake to be burned alive by the Catholic Church, they put a, a crown of dancing demons on Huss's head, and John Huss said, My Savior wore a crown of thorns for my sake. They put a chain around his body to burn him alive at the stake. Huss said, my savior was tied with a heavier chain than this one. Why should I be afraid of this rusty one? And he just sang a hymn after hymn after hymn while he was burning. While he was burning, he was singing. You know what? You know what was that? What's, what is that? No wonder people try to make fun of Christians. Christians are a weird group of people. Why would they give up that much? Why are they so legalistic and religious and they abstain from all the things that they call worldly? And then these Christians that they say, this is sin, that is sin, and Jesus is the only way. They're a fringe, weird little group of people. They're like a cult. I mean, they're, they're cuckoo. I mean, uh, man, it's, to have a neighbor who says, I love Jesus t-shirt, the neighbors, it's enough for the labor, neighbors to look down on you and kind of feel weirded out and distanced from you. I mean, TV shows, they just make fun of those kind of Christians as being weird people. And it's so amazing that despite of all of that and all of that disgrace that the world thinks that why are they so crazy? Why are they so weird? You know why? It's because we know what true love is. You don't. Your love is a perverted love. It's a strange love. It's a sad love. You think love is like a loose term like let's make love. That's how loose your love is. That's how messed up your love is. It's a love that can go on for, that satisfy your flesh. And that it goes for overnight and that's it. And then you would hate that person. You wouldn't call back that person. You would distance yourself from that person. And that's why America, they just have divorce like it's like water. They, drink, they do divorce like they're drinking water. You know why? They don't understand what true love is. And that's why they try to fantasize about love through Hollywood and through movies. And people fantasize about, oh, what a romantic story. I want love to be like that. You know why? Because the reason why they love those kind of movies is because they can never attain that kind of love. But we already experienced the love of God. And that's why we can live so weird and so crazy because that's how much we love Jesus Christ. You're a weird bunch of people to be persecuted in prison and to die for a person who is just a fairy tale, a, a man who's just a 33 and a half year old carpenter's son. What in the world? Because you never understand the true love. Really? What that man went through. Yeah. That is the son of God. That is Jehovah himself. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Amen. He died for me. And he loved me that much. Do you experience the love of Jesus Christ? Do you have that love with you? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Man, God is so good. I mean, if you look at verse 13 through 14, don't you realize that when God, he saved your soul from hell, that he made a deal, that he made a deal that is sealed in stone and that it cannot be touched? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. 
in whom he also trusted. So you trusted Jesus Christ. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So after you trusted, when you heard the gospel, in whom also after that you believed, when you believed, you were what? Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I mean, before I understood verse 13 and 14, I was like, why does the Bible have to mention so many words like earnest and inheritance and redemption and purchase possession? Why can't it make it clearer and simpler? Because those words, if you understand those words, you would be touched. Your heart would melt. <clears throat> Do you not realize that earnest is something that has value? That has value. God has to give something with value. That's why people give money when they buy an item. Why? Because they say that in the old days, the gold has value. Now you got the dollar bill, and let alone now it's cashless. Now they go through electronic. You question the, its value nowadays. But back then, they had to have gold and all that because of its weight and value. It's not, it wasn't the numbers like a thousand, a hundred. It was, the, it was the, the material itself, true value, that they would give up something so valuable if they wanted that, an item that badly. You would not give up something so valuable. You would not give something valuable unless you loved it that much. You wanted it that much. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> if you saw a small little stone... Would you give up all of your house earnings, your car, your income, your whole life, your own clothes on your back just to buy this little pebble, this little stone? I wouldn't. I think you're nuts. I think you're crazy if you do that. And I'd still say that if you told me right now today. <clears throat> but you know what? That little stone was you. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and the book of Luke, you know what the Bible says? We are stones. But as the brother said, he pointed out something there. You know, all you were was a pebble and a stone that has no value. But when God looked at it, he saw it as a living stone. You know what's a living stone at the book of Luke? It's a pearl of great price. You know what God saw? When, when God looks at that little stone, <clears throat> the devil, you can imagine, he gathers up. He has this little stone in his hand. And then Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm going to give up something valuable for that one. I'm going to pay you a lot for that. And then the devil goes, it's just a little stone. But Jesus says, oh, I can turn it into something valuable. That stone, it just needs a little chipping off, you know, just the edges. And, yeah, that stone will let me down. And at the beginning, you know, still a baby Christian, probably get confused with wrong doctrine or can't stomach the church and be so fleshly to fight and find little issues. But you know what? That stone, I just have to keep, I just be patient with it and I just need to chip it a little more. I'll make it beautiful. You know what I see? I see a great pearl. <laughs> it's not a pearl, it's a stone. Well, I see it as a great pearl. Well, well, you need to give me something valuable. The earnest of our inheritance at verse 14 is what? The Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. When Jesus Christ put his Holy Spirit inside you and sealed the deal, that became the value. And so when you're walking around your world, this outer flesh is nothing from the stones, from the dirt itself. Just dirt and you turn into dirt. But God sees something inside there. And it's the Holy Spirit, the spiritual nature that gave something. And God sees a beautiful pearl. And God sees that pearl and he's like, and there's that song that goes, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. There's another song that goes, beautiful, that's how mercy saw me. Though I was hopeless and so lost, mercy looked past all my faults. Justice demanded what I had done. But mercy saw me through the sun, not what I was. Dirt and stones in the flesh, my old nature, my old life. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how Jesus saw me, as the song goes. Man, can you imagine that? Man, can you imagine that, Brother Randall, that before you got saved, God didn't, he wasn't, when he died on Calvary, he didn't see you as 
where you were in your old life or in your wickedness. God saw you as that person's going to teach and he's going to teach to people around the world. And that person's going to clean up his life. That person's going to be a blessing to the church. That person's going to quote from memory my word. That person's going to sing a song in his heart. That's what God saw. And he saw a pearl of great price. And that's why it was enough to die for you. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. And God, he gave up everything so that we can become a pearl, a beautiful pearl for him to wear. You know, I am not the great Dr. Gene Kim, you see. All you're seeing is the work of Jesus Christ. What he took me out of. What he changed me. What he cleaned. If you're going to see any good pearl in me, it's truly not on my own. It's truly all Jesus Christ. That's why we truly say at Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, the, the, some of these uh, false teachers confuse that and put that with your salvation. But that has nothing to do with my salvation. That truly has to do with after my salvation. And that has to do with his work and what he did, not what I did. And what God, when he put that new nature inside me, and then he gave me chance after chance, and then he chastised me. He sent me preachers in my life. He sent me people in my life. He had the service uh, he had the service available to me so I can hear the preaching and teaching. Brethren around me who prayed for me. And because of only the grace of God and his work, his work upon my life, I only became what I am today. And Brother Sean, a lot of hard work you put on the tech, but you know that's not your work. I mean, where were you before you got saved? And what did Jesus Christ have to do with you for many years to put you where you're at today? Where are you, Brother Max? Think about a couple of years ago. What God pulled you out of. What God changed you to become. Talk to yourself. Talk to the old Max ten years ago. And tell him, guess what? You're going to be preaching next Wednesday. You're going to be preaching next Wednesday and be a blessing to someone. You're going to preach on the pulpit for God. Who would have thought? And that's not your word. That's Jesus Christ. May I bless God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yeah. Man, what did God pull you out of? What God changed you and what he worked in your life? Man, you little kids better not take your salvation for granted. Man, why do you get upset and complain and feel bored when you come to church being a saved Christian? Do you know what God had to work to pull you out of and change your life? Oh, I find the world more attractive, Pastor. Oh, I find... Uh, my worldly friends more attractive. Oh, I don't care if it's sin or worldly. I want to play this game. I want to watch this show. I want to hang around that crowd. Why would you do that, child, when you don't deserve God's love and what God is working in you to be create you? He's trying to make you a better Christian, holy Christian, a Christian that will give glory to his name, doing great things for him. Why would you ruin that life to serve this wicked flesh of yours? This flesh that does not care about you. The flesh that wants to feel pleased. And all you're doing is being a slave. You children are just being a slave. You teenagers, you youth are just being a slave. And some of you young adults still are being a slave to this wicked flesh that does not give a care about you when it's suffering and dying of cancer. All it wants is to feel satisfied. Feel satisfied. But Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, you can grieve it and the Holy Spirit will still love you and work with you and be patient with you and still be patient with you despite of your complaining, your indifference, and sometimes your bitterness against God. And the Holy Spirit will love you enough to just keep working on you. He just needs time. She just needs time. Just needs more prayer, more love, more brethren encouraging. Man, you know what? You're, you know why you're walking around as a living pearl? Because of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it has value. Amen. You know why you have value? Man, can you imagine? You had no value when Jesus died on the cross. You're just unworthy. You're just dirt. You deserved hell. Yeah, amen. So what, what did Jesus did? He did not look at the current you now. He was looking at what you can become. Thank you, Lord. That's why that verse says he chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He was viewing those who are in Jesus Christ and say, look at that beautiful pearl. That would sing a hymn one day. Sing a special one day. 
that would help some brother and sister one day, clean up his or her life, that would dress clean, that would give glory to my name, that would tell somebody about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, what love. What love. And then if you read at verse 14, so the, it's that value. The Holy Spirit has value. Why? Because it's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So you know what? God already bought you. So because he gave the Holy Spirit as value... People who say, oh, I'm afraid that I might miss the rapture. Well, did you receive Christ for your salvation? Yes, I did, but I sinned and I messed up. I didn't live like a good Christian. No, 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 no. You received Christ in your salvation. What's the condition? In him, in him, in Christ. When you're in that, guess what? God already paid money, so you can't lose it. God already paid the down payment with the Holy Spirit and says, okay, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the earnest of the inheritance. Put a down payment with the Holy Spirit, so that means he's mine at the rapture. So when God shouts out, come up hither and call your name, you know why he's calling your name? He's going to say, because they're my sheep, they know my name. He's got my name on it. All right, so then God's going to say, Come up hither. And then the devil and the flesh, they can't go, oh, who's he talking about? No, he's not talking about him. No, he is talking about Gene Kim. So flesh, let go. Hey, devil, let go. World, let go. I'm going up. So God has to break that outer shell, change my natural body into a holy body. And then God says, because I paid it. So when I come to get what is mine, my property, my possession, you better give it to me, man. That's why, Jesus, you know why I think Jesus Christ has to come down midway? To confirm with the world, see, this is mine, all right? So let me grab what is mine, and, you know, don't look back, and bye-bye world. Yeah, it's mine. Maybe that's why the Lord Jesus Christ has to meet us in the clouds. To confirm to the world that, see, this is all mine. You see that? We're going up. Bye-bye. And so come, Lord Jesus, man. And God is so good. And then when you look at Ephesians 2... And then we shall close it off over here. Notice that verse 8 through 9 is a beautiful verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you already, we already talked about the beauty of verse 10, of being his workmanship. But let me close it off with verse 8 and 9, the beauty so that's why grace is truly that you're saved through faith. It's truly nothing of yourself. Nothing of yourself. What can you do? Let, let me ask you this question. So many people think that there's something more to it than this. Oh, you make it so simple, preacher. Just like a 15-second prayer where you come before as a repentant sinner trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. You make it too simple. There's got to be something more to it than that. There's got to be something more to it that I have to give to God. What work can you do that can top the work that Jesus did all for you? <laughs> There's nothing greater than that. You think you can help Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ gave you a, I mean, if there's somebody who gave you a gift of a Lexus car, there's nothing more that you can do that says, oh, well, you know, I could, uh, no, there's something more to it than this. I feel like that may be missing. No, if somebody gave that to you, use it, man. <laughs> What more can you do than what God has given to you? Don't touch it. Don't taint it. Don't ruin it. Just be happy and receive it. Nothing what you do. But there's got to be something more to it. No, nothing. Just simply come to him as a repentant sinner and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's, that's why it says not of yourselves. Yeah. You know, people say that the worst thing that you can ever say is to teach. We believe in salvation by grace alone, and it's not by works. But if you really are saved by grace, then you're going to do a lot of good works for him. That's the worst thing that you can say to a person. If that person is really saved by grace, it's going to be more so of no more works. Not more works, it should be fewer works then. <laughs> That's the opposite. That's how you can prove true grace. 
How you know you're really saved by grace is that you mess up over and over again and you're secured by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, how about that one? All right, let some Calvinists sink that in. Man, it just went over their head. They think that real true grace is when I, when I do so many good works out of my life and then I can tell that you're really a saved person. You're really saved by grace. But if you don't do these good works like I do, but they don't say that. In their mind, they're like, see, you're not as good as I am. So unless you're good as I am, then you are considered saved. My friend, what good is your work or even mine? How can that top the work of Jesus Christ? All you can do your entire lifetime can never top on the few hours that he died on Calvary. Man, when Jesus Christ, he died, he says, nothing of yourself, just come as you are. What's holding you back? What can hold you back from receiving Jesus Christ from a wonderful thing? Not of yourselves. Seventh-day Adventism teaches if you're truly saved by grace, then we will see these works of the law applied. The Bible says not of yourselves. John MacArthur says that if you truly repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you wouldn't commit these sins anymore. The Bible says not of yourselves. Great comfort from living waters may have good intentions and tell them to first read your Bible, clean up this sin and that sin, and then let the Holy Spirit work in you and then you can understand a little bit more about salvation. No, the Bible says not of yourselves. Why can't you just tell a sinner right then and there? And I don't care if the sinner is a homosexual or an atheist or a wicked sinner. Why not just tell that sinner right then and there when they repent as a sinner? Why don't you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Let's go! Man, you know, I mean, the beauty of the grace and the love of God, truly not of yourselves. Won't you accept his beautiful love gift? You know who are the people who would die and would be happy to receive it? The ones who see their depravity to begin with. Their wickedness to begin with. Their problem to begin with. You know why a lot of people, they hear so much about the love of Jesus, but they don't care. And then when you preach about hell and sin one time, they get mad at you. Because we live in a distorted church and distorted world. All they talk about is the love of Jesus. They don't even talk about the problem and the condition. You know what makes the grace more beautiful, love more beautiful? When you realize how unworthy you are, how depraved you are, how sick you are, and how lost you are. As I mentioned to you before, if you told a person who's dying of cancer, hey, I have a cure for cancer, you'd, the person who's suffering cancer <clears throat> would take it as the most beautiful thing in his or her life and experience true joy. But the person never recognized that he or her had cancer and you told the person, hey, I have a medicine, a cure for your cancer, that person would be offended and go, what, are you saying that I got cancer? See, there's a big difference, is there not? The big difference is one person realized his or her condition, that he or she is dying and doomed. There's no hope. There's no cure. There's so much pain through the process. And cancer is a horrible thing. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to lose my family. That person realized that depravity. If you realized how lost you are in your sin, and that sin is so heinous to God that he would damn you in hell forever. If you don't come to him as a repentant sinner and realize, man, my wicked life, my state as a sinner, it is what is killing me. It is dooming me to hell, and I'm going to burn forever without dying. It's worse than cancer. It's slower. It's more painful. You weep and gnash your teeth. And there is no second chance. If I would recognize that then, when the person says, hey, I got good news for you, that's what the gospel is. Then it be, truly becomes the gospel. It truly becomes good news. Jesus can cure you right now. And he can do it just like that. Would you receive him? So that's where you're at right now. You need to realize your lost state. You need to realize you're lost in sin. You're going to burn in hell forever if you're not saved in Jesus Christ. Ask yourself this question. If you're to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? If you're not sure, I hope that you feel the weight of the lost condition that you might have. And you might realize your need as a repentant sinner. 
as a repentant sinner that you would say, okay, God, I see where I'm at. I'm going to put my faith on what you did on the cross to save me from hell. And I'm not going to add anything to it, God. I'm not going to add like going to church or I dedicate my life as a Christian. I'm going to do great things. All I can do is just trust in you, trust in you to take care of my sinful condition, save me from hell. And then guess what? The Holy Spirit will begin a brand new work in your life. With every head bow and every eye shut, please, the altar call is open. For some of you who want to get some things right with the Lord or just thank the Lord, just even just thank the Lord for what he did for you at the cross of Calvary. The altar call is open. How can we whine? How can we become bitter? How can we complain? And how can we say that, how can we not sacrifice more for Jesus? This, what we sacrifice now is not enough. What we sacrifice now is not enough. And it can never compare to the eternity of what God ever did for you and I on Calvary. If some of you are not saved, today would be a great day to get saved. Would you like to get saved right now? Let me ask again. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven after you die? You might say, Pastor, I'm not sure. So all you, it's so simple. Review, review. One, you repent. I think that's not a problem now. It seems like the Holy Spirit's working in you. You repent. You realized you're a lost sinner on your way to hell. Sin is so such a crime to God that he would damn it to hell forever. So you might say, man, pastor, I don't want to be a lost sinner anymore in my wickedness. Well, number two, you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to do any work. God doesn't require you to dedicate anything. Remember, not of yourselves. Number two is just simply... Put your faith in Jesus. That when he died, buried, and resurrected, that's enough to save you. What he worked, what he did is enough. That's number two. Pastor, I can do that. Then number three, number three, just say it to him. 15 seconds, 10 minutes, I don't care. Just say to God the best way you can, Lord, I come to you repenting as a sinner of my wickedness, and all I can ever do is not try to clean up my life or live better. All I can do is just put my trust in you, trust in you to save me from hell, to get rid of my sinful nature in my spiritual life. You might say, well, Pastor, uh, I could appreciate if you can give me the words on how to say it to God. I don't know how to pray. Can you help me out? Sure, I can give you the words, and you can repeat after me. And you don't have to repeat out loud. You can say it to yourself. You don't have to feel embarrassed. Look, everybody is rooting for you right now. Everyone is rooting for you right now. I'll give you the words. You can repeat after me. You can say it silently to yourself. In this way, you can say, Dear God, I repent as a sinner. I believe Jesus is God who died, buried, and resurrected so his blood can wash away my sinful life. All I can ever do is put my trust in what you did on the cross to save me. It's nothing of what I do, Lord. Only you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you could just slip, uh, keep your heads bowed and eyes shut just a little longer. Let's take some time. I promise to finish 1.30. If any of you, if this is your first time uh, in this church, your first time in this church, repeating those words after me, Say, Pastor, I've just repeated those, after, those words after you and I got saved. Could you just slip up your hand real briefly, real quick? We're not going to point out who you are. I'm not going to point out who you are. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. No one's going to 
Uh, no one know, knows who you are. I'm not pointing you out. Thank you for your honesty. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, my Father, thank you so much that there were a few souls that got saved. And thank you so much that uh, there were people who reminded themselves about their lost sinful condition and recalled what you got them out from. I pray that today's sermon will help us to truly be the workmanship that you wanted us to be, <laughs> created unto good works. Because we have not been saved at all by our own works, Lord. It's all your work, Father. And do a great thing in our lives in Jesus' name.